Good evening, everybody. How you doing? My name is Stephen. It's my privilege to teach you the word tonight. I want you to call me Stephen unless you are a Patriots fan. In which case, I want you to be as formal and distant as possible. Your holiness, your majesty, anything like that will be fine, but do not use my first name in this place. You got me? Okay, I got that off my chest. Now I can move on to the things of God. I'm eventually going to end up here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're in a series on Ephesians, if you're joining us tonight for the first time. Uh, but I am going to land in Ephesians 4. But I can't come to the book of Ephesians without setting up the scene. Uh, because I, I think when we read the New Testament, when we read these different books, uh, letters sent to different churches in different cities, that we got to have a picture of those cities appear before our minds. And, and Ephesus is a really important city. Let me just set it up real quick, and then I'll take you to the, to the word I want to talk to you about tonight. When you picture Ephesus, and Ephesus is behind a bunch of things, and Timothy, in First and Second Timothy, Timothy's at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is behind a lot of the, the, what's in the New Testament. For example, uh, you know, there's a letter to the uh, Ephesian church in the book of Revelation. Acts chapter 19 is all about things happening in Ephesus. So when you think of Ephesus, you got to think about an important city in the first century, but you got to think about demon central. Okay, Ephesus is demon central, not unlike Baltimore. No, I'm just playing. Um, but it's like Baltimore in this sense. It was a port city. Now, if you go visit Ephesus today, do one of those biblical tours, uh, it's, Ephesus now is way inland, okay, because the river that connected it to the Aegean Sea has silted up over the centuries. So now it's seven, eight miles inland. But Ephesus at that time was a port city, kind of like Baltimore. That's really what I meant, all of us having fun. And um, it was therefore very international, lots of sailors, lots of ships, lots of religions, lots of people coming from lots of different places. And it also was a city, in addition to all that international stuff and wealth and exchange and different cultures and different ethnicities and different religions that you have in big international cultural centers, um, Ephesus was also devoted to a single God. And that God was, is, is named Artemis in Greek and Diana in the Roman world, in the Latin world. And this God, the whole city was devoted to this goddess. Their money said it. They had, they had Artemis hamburgers and Artemis, you know, hotels and everybody. You can see it. This is actually in the New Testament. The craftsmen were all committed to this God. And, <coughs> excuse me, the temple devoted to this God was one of the eight ancient wonders, uh, wonders of the ancient world. It was two football fields in size. Two football fields, not just one, two. In fact, it was larger than two football fields. It was gigantic. And I won't get into the details of what the worship was like, but trust me, it was evil, it was sexual, it was demonic, place was filled with thousands of priestesses who were actually prostitutes, and, and I'm sure you've studied this, and so I'm not going to get into it right now. But as a result of this whole town being devoted, this whole city recently, really, being devoted to this demonic deity, to this goddess, it was a place of demonic activity. It was a place where spirits reigned. 
It was a place where people were demon-possessed. We see this over and over again referred to in the New Testament. Paul said he wrestled wild animals there. He wasn't at a rodeo. He was fighting demons in Ephesus, okay? We see in Acts 19 that some of the people who were into sorcery and the occult in that city, high-powered people in the occult, uh, repented. And when they brought and burned their parchments and their scrolls that had all their incantations on it, it they were extremely expensive. So people were coming out of the occult. That such signs and wonders happened there because of the power encounter with the church that some Jew, the sons of the high priest, of the Jewish high priest, tried to cast out demons the way they saw Christians doing it because demons were everywhere. So Christians were casting out demons everywhere. And they actually said, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, this is not my sermon, but let me give you a two-sentence sermon. If you are living for a secondhand Jesus, you will have no power, okay? You cannot, pre you cannot deal powerfully in the name of the Jesus that Pastor Brett preaches. Now, see, since I used his name, you're nervous. No, no, no. I want him to preach about Jesus, and I want you to know it. But I want you to know Jesus directly so you have direct power in your life so you can deal with stuff. If you say, if you haven't, if you haven't talked to Jesus in five years, but you heard a tape or a, or a podcast from Brett, and, and he's talking about Jesus, and so you confront a demon, and you say, oh, excuse me, Mr. Demon, in the name of the Jesus that Pastor Brett is talking about, you're, it may happen exactly what happened in the Bible, which is those fears may rip your clothes off and you may go running away. Yeah, I don't think you want to have that happen. We don't want that testimony here. So that's the kind of demon central that was going on at Ephesus. The whole town was devoted to this spirit, this deity, okay? The whole, it was just full of demons, Power encounters all the time uh, for the Christian church. Unbelievable. We see a riot happen in the book of Acts. People are chanting to the glory of this deity for two solid hours. You get the sense as you read it, they're, they're empowered by a spirit. They're just chanting kind of mindlessly in favor of the spirit. So that's the context that we're talking about today. And Paul's letter to the little church in this great big demonic city is the only letter he writes in the New Testament where he does not correct anything doctrinal. He's not fixing anything. Normally there's a crisis, somebody's misbehaved, some bad doctrine's happening, and Paul's trying to correct him. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is correcting no doctrine. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to pump into the people a sense of destiny. Just when you get back home tonight, just read Ephesians 1. The word destined, the word called, the word preordained is used in almost every sentence. He's trying to remind these people in this little storefront church in the middle of a demonized city that they are called, that they are anointed, that Jesus is with them, that, they, they, that, that it's not by flesh and blood, that they defeat uh, by natural weapons, that they defeat demons, but they have weapons that are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. That's from another book, but it applies to the letter to the Ephesians. And so that's what's going on. In fact, in fact, the whole thing, the whole thing that Paul is trying to communicate is captured and summarized, and this is not our text for today, but the whole thing is captured and summarized in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. You've heard this verse many times. Here's the summary of what Paul is trying to say to this church in the letter to the Ephesians. His intent, the intent of God, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's whole purpose is to say, you may be small in number, you may have messed up and made Timothy your pastor. Come on, 
You know about Timothy. Timothy's got problems everywhere. He's got to drink medicine for his stomach. He's nervous. He's having to, he's kind of attracted to the young ladies. He's letting the older women dominate him. He's mad at the older men. Read First and Second Timothy. This is not the man you would choose to be your pastor, but that's who their pastor is. They got demons left and right. You can imagine they're getting prostitutes saved. Imagine what that brings in the church. They're getting priests saved. They're getting people who are used to worshiping demons saved. They got a disciple and they got a challenge. They got to find the right curriculum material. You know what I'm talking about. It's a huge challenge. Spirits are besetting them, coming and whispering into the leader's ears at night. All of that's going on. And what is Paul saying? God has predetermined to show the glory of his power through the church now on this earth. It does not matter where you stand numerically. It does not matter if you have the biggest physical building. It does not matter if your pastor is the most awesome person to ever walk the planet. You had Apostle Paul just a few weeks ago. No, the power of God is gonna be demonstrated through the people of God. That's the whole message to the letter to the Ephesians. You're called and you're destined. And by the way, it wouldn't be bad for me to take a little side point here and say, I don't care what you saw on the news today. I don't care what disillusionment we're all feeling from what's going on in our world. I don't care uh, what is besetting you in your night seasons. You are called to live for Jesus at such a time as this. The letter to the Ephesians is not ancient history, it's a revelation to you. I, I, I shouldn't say I don't care about what you're feeling, I understand the tumult we're all dealing with in this generation, but no matter what you came away from the news with, no matter what's besetting you, God has ordained that you should live for such a time as this, in this generation, for his glory, and he has determined to give you victory. That is the word of the Lord out of Ephesians. Now I have been talking for 15 minutes and have yet to get to my point, okay? So let's look now in Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus in this horrible situation, in this demonic city, in basically a demon-possessed Baltimore, meaning port city and international and so on, okay? Um, in that situation, Paul is continuing to pump in destiny, tell them what they're ordained for, tell them what they're called for, tell them what the vision is for their lives, tell them that they can be victorious. But he says something after saying some great things, he says something that convicts me. Let's see if we can all share that conviction together. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, a verse you've read many, many times. We teach on it a great deal as we try to establish churches and, and get people aligned in churches. In verse 11, Ephesians 4.11, reading in God's version of the Bible, the NIV, it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's pause so that the body of Christ may be built up. I love that verse up to that point. I love it. I wish Paul had put a period and gone out to dinner at that moment when he was writing this thing because he said stuff that I love. He's given, the Lord has put in the church apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, etc. The Lord has given them to us to equip us and to build us up. And if you take that phrase, build us up, kind of an emotional, uh, kind, of, kind of a spiritual build up, inspire and strengthen sense, then, then it's perfect. I'm going to be equipped. I'm going to be trained. I'm going to be inspired. I'm going to be strengthened so I can do good things. And I love that passage of scripture. I've loved it since I first read it. But then I had to go and read the rest of it. You see, the reason that I like 
everything that comes before because it's because I can pretty much do it on my own with my family, with my immediate gang, right? I can go to church. I can sit under a pastor. He can teach me. I can be taught. I can be prophesied over. I can be taught how to evangelize. I can be equipped. I can be built up. It's awesome. It's me. It's my wife. It's my children. It's my immediate gang. But what Paul is about to tell me that convicts me and wasn't good news the first time I heard it is that apparently I am going to need other people in this Christian life. Apparently, this Christian life is not an individual thing. Some of you are looking at me like, this fool does not know this and he's preaching in a church. Well, I'm just telling you that what I wanted to hear was how awesome I could be in Jesus. I'm not sure I wanted to hear that in order to fulfill my purpose in Jesus, I had to be part of other people fulfilling their purpose in Jesus and we had to do it all together. Again, I wish Paul had just put a period right here and gone to dinner, but no, here's what he said. Until, he says, we're gonna be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. See, it's the word all that bugs me. If it'd been Bev and me, if it'd been our three kids, if it'd been my band of brothers, awesome. But no, 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 all. Most of us spend our whole life finding out what that word all means. Lord, by all, do you mean everyone like at my birthday party? No, 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 all. And he starts drawing bands around the world. Let's see what other bad news he has for us. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, ouch, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now see, what I'm, being, what I'm having fun talking about is the fact that the idea that I had to become mature in Jesus, that I had to reach fullness, that I had to come to maturity, I was all for that when I got saved, that's what I wanted, right? You get saved, you find out Jesus loves you, you start sitting under your teaching, and you're like, awesome, let's grow, let's be awesome Christians. It's when I find out that I'm supposed to be awesome Christian with a whole bunch of other people with whom I am not mature unless we're all walking together. That changes everything. That changes everything because that includes Jim Critcher. You understand what I'm saying? Now, my destiny is tied to people I'm not even sure are saved. No, I'm just having fun because he's not here. Well, let's keep reading. Then we will no longer be infants once we reach this maturity with everyone else. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in, in every respect <clears throat> the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, I love the message of destiny. I love what the Bible says about each one of us being called from before the creation of the world. I love Psalm 139 that says that he makes us in the womb and puts us together and fashions our personality and our basic bodies. I love that that he takes hold of us so that we can take hold of that for which he's created us. I love the whole predestination chosen in him thing. I just thought it was about me individually. I thought you were chosen 
and I'm chosen, and you should be chosen over there. You understand what I'm saying? Go on and be chosen with yourself. Come to the same church. We'll have lunch, but be chosen and destined and grow to maturity on your own over there. You follow what I'm saying? But when I read this verse, suddenly I find something out. I find out suddenly that we are all meant to grow into maturity together. In fact, I'm not fully mature until we are all maturing together. Phew. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing you say amen to in church without actually writing down the cost of the whole thing. You follow what I'm saying? So let's, let's look for a few moments at five or six things the words we just read require because this is the calling on our time. And I want you to keep in mind, the reason I set all this up at the beginning by describing the, the, the city of, of Ephesus and, and what the church was facing is that this is still part of that core message. This is still part of Paul's message, which is God has determined to show his multifaceted wisdom and power to the principalities and powers through the church on earth in this generation. Now, what we're hearing is part of the description of how that happens. So let me tell you that as I preach this message tonight, one of the things that touches me is how much I turn on my television, watch the news, read articles criticizing Christians and raising questions about who evangelicals are and all that kind of thing. And what I'm finding is that the world is constantly wanting the church to be what the church is called to be. You follow what I mean? The world in its innocence and sometimes not so innocent, they don't mean it kindly necessarily, will say, why, why isn't the church leading the way towards reconciliation of every kind? Why, why isn't the church loving people who don't look like them? And so here are these people who don't even go to church, don't even believe what we believe, and they're constantly convicting me because they're calling us to be better. So do you understand that we're being set up in this generation if we will become the unified, growing in maturity together people we're called to be, there's a generation watching us to see who Jesus is and what that multifaceted wisdom and power of God is. We're being set up for a demonstration, but we're not there yet. Now, first of all, number one, I, I gotta watch my time. So number one, just five or six things here that come out of this verse. Number one is there's a shift of vision, and I've already described it. The shift of vision is, this is not just a vision for me being equipped by my pastors and going out and being awesome. This is me realizing that I am called and destined. In fact, my destiny, my equipping, my, my maturing in Jesus is about a fullness of Christ that requires all of us coming into maturity together. Well, that's not the best news I've ever heard. Do you know... Let me, get, let me just warn you about something. Are you aware? You're probably having, some of you having the same experience I'm having. The Holy Spirit and my pastor are ganging up against me. Are, 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 you, are you aware of this? No, no, no. They're ganging up against me because they're constantly wanting me to consider people who aren't near me and aren't familiar to me as part of the whole that I am part of that all has to grow together. I came to church not long ago looking for a blessing on Wednesday night, like you should, and when I got here, there was a Korean <laughs> Presbyterian pastor in a suit on Wednesday night, which ought to be illegal, on Wednesday night, preaching the gospel and telling me I should evangelize more. What in the world is going on at this church? Why can't I just stay in my tribe and stay with my people? You understand what I'm saying? And just be with people I'm comfortable with and have, oh, I don't know, nine or 10 of us growing together in Jesus. 
Why do I need this man? Oh, it's worse than that. See, the Lord's been working on me in this regard in a long, for a long time. I, I, I come from a military and athletic background. I, I'm not a great athlete and I'm not, I never worn a uniform, but my, my upbringing, my background was military and athlete. So I understood soldiers and I understood men and I understood athletes, but I ended up pastoring a, a sizable church in Nashville, Tennessee that was filled with people I didn't quite relate to. Artists. Now, artists, <laughs> I'm only trying to describe the conflict between where I'd been and the people I was pastoring, thousands of them. No, no, no. Jesus couldn't give me a small storefront with two past, uh, artists. I had thousands of them. And, and I remember the first time I made an appointment to have lunch with an artist. I, I wanted to see what they were like and poke on one a little bit, you know, just to see. This artist changed where we were eating three or four times in the week leading up to where we were, when we were eating. Because the muse had told him that the restaurant was not where we should meet, that the muse was elsewhere for us. Wasn't sure what a muse was. Is this the name of a demon? Is this are you in some other religion? I don't know. I remember very clearly I went to lunch with this artist. Then the ordering began. You understand for me, ordering is steak, medium, cook it. That's, that's how I order the whole meal. No, 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 no. This person ordered and then decided they needed something red on their plate. Could I have beets? And could you not let the juice from the beets go over into the greens? And if you could move the fennel at approximately a 90-degree angle. And here's what I heard. That's what I heard for the next 20 minutes. And I realized I was in a tribe apart. You understand what I'm saying? I was visiting some other planet where people unlike me lived. Here's the problem. I'd like to tell you that I never saw an artist again the rest of my life, that I have not met one since and I'm doing fine in Jesus. But you already know that's not true because I need artists in my life. Darn it. I need, <laughs> I need artists in my life. I need, I need them to show me who Jesus is. I need, to, need them to take me to the presence of God and worship. I need them to dance. I need them to play. I need them to write. I need them to invent new, new uh, instruments. I need them to paint. I need them to show me the glory of God. You understand what I'm saying? I need artists in my life. So that's, those are people I'm going to have to actually grow with those people. My destiny is tied to them. So the vision has changed. It's not about me coming to church to get equipped to be uh, useful out there and have, have impact. It's, the Bible makes it very clear. So that we all, that offensive word, so that we all can be maturing together. And that's what's odd about our generation is that they're waiting for us to mature. They're waiting for us to be one. They're waiting for us to reach across lines of every kind and grow together so that they have a revelation of who Jesus is. They're waiting to see that. So that was a shift for me. I had to realize that the Ephesian 4 vision, which is at the heart of every church and its relationship with its leadership, is not just about an individual being equipped. It's not about each of us individually become better in every way and every day. It's about us as a body growing together. So if we're not growing together, if we're not growing as one, if we're not maturing together, then we are not becoming the people we individually are destined to be. That's a powerful truth. 
Because a lot of what passes for American Christianity is grow for your individual good. Well, I'm only fulfilling my individual good if I'm growing together with you. If I'm growing together with the body of Christ, if we are all growing together in Jesus. Number two, we are called, it says right there in that verse, to speak the truth of God. This is one of the ways that unity happens. This is one of the ways that we grow together. You know, Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law will not ever leave your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. What's the beginning of it? The word of God will never stop coming out of your mouth. So the Bible tells us that one of the ways unity happens is that we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. If you want to up unity, if you want to up maturity, if you want to up the connections that we have as believers, up your word level. Up the word level, the amount of word that you're speaking. Not angrily, not shouting it in the middle of a, of a movie or, 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 or a dinner inappropriately. You know what I'm talking about. But let the word of God live in you and speak it constantly. I don't know about you, but when I look back over the words that I speak in the course of a day or a week, there is a lot of empty stuff. You know what I mean? There's just a, I know I'm the only one in the room. You go ahead and just stare at me a sinner. But there is a lot of empty, vain unproductive stuff. I want to speak the word of God more. I want to speak it to you. I want to discuss it. I want us to bring it up. I want us to ponder it. I want to speak little bits of scripture and answer to the problems that you're telling me you have. I, I, I want to have scripture front and center in my life. This book of the law shall never leave your mouth. And what's the other end of that verse? Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. The beginning, get the word rolling in your life. And number two is to walk in love. Walk in love. Now, I don't have time to develop this at great length, but one of the things I'd like to do for you is to distinguish between the feeling that is love and the biblical version of love, which is to obey his commandments. In First John, 2 John chapter 1 and verse 6, this is my third point. It says, and this is love that we, that we obey, that we walk in obedience to his commands. I've, I've had in my life a lot of people who said they loved me, but I would much rather now, looking back, that they had just been obedient to God's word rather than talk about a feeling for me a lot. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Because I, wouldn't you rather that I obey God's word concerning you than, than just have a feeling that may come or may go? Uh, we want to obey God's word. So the Bible says that if we obey God's word, it allows the love of God to run its full course. In the, in the book of Galatians, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Well, my question is, how do we get it out? How do we get it flowing? The Bible says, obey his word. Obey his word concerning people. Do what's right. Do what the Bible describes in the lives of other people, even if it doesn't feel right, even if it doesn't seem uh, like, the, like the comfortable thing, because that's what allows the love of God to run its full course. And this is why I'm moved by what I see in my television. This is why I'm moved by these cries coming out from, the, from our generation, from the, from the unsaved in our generation, saying, look at the church. Why doesn't the church do this? Why doesn't the church do that? Because what they're asking for is greater love. What they're asking for is that we love people in our generation the way they can see with their own unsaved eyes that Jesus loved people when he walked the earth. Where is that love? Where is that having impact? Number four. The other truth that grabs me here as we look at these, this verse here in Ephesians is this statement here that we have to grow in every respect you look back there and you see that it says very clearly that we have to grow, that we're growing in every respect. 
Now, now this is something that challenges me every day. If I love you, then part of what is required of me is that I will allow the Spirit of God to produce the character of Jesus in every respect in my life. Because as I grow, as I become more mature, then I'm able to contribute to the body and its growth, and my growth somehow helps mystically with all of us grow to a new level. What we need is a body of people open to the Holy Spirit dealing with us in every area of our lives. And I don't know about you, but I've often said, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life, just not what's in these suitcases right over here, right? Lord, come, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life, but not that thing I really don't want to deal with. Right? Have you ever been there? Am I the only pagan in the whole room? Lord, come and rule and be, be, be Lord of my life, but there are a couple of things I'll take care of myself you don't really need to worry about. That's, that's holding back. That's, that, that's resisting him. That's not growing in every respect. And the Greek makes it even more powerful. I have to, if I love you, if I love you in my private life, I have got to fully put myself in the hands of Jesus and say, fix and change what you will. It's pleasing to you. And it's part of me being part of a body, every piece of which has got to grow. So I'm, I, I encourage, I'm encouraging you because it's good for me, because it's good for everyone. If I love Joe, I'm going to encourage Jane to fully give herself to Jesus because we're part of a body, every part of which has got to grow in every respect. And we don't have the right, as the church has so often done, and I'm not trying to be critical, where we allow God to do certain things, but we don't allow him to do other things. You know what I'm talking about. All right, a couple more. The Bible says that all of this takes work. The very last verse says, as each part does its work. I'm hungry to be part of the body of Christ on earth. I'm, I'm hungry to be connected to those believers who have lost family members in Iraq because ISIS murdered them. I want to be part of them. I want to be connected to them. I want us all to grow together. I'm teasing about the, the Korean pastor who was here on the stage a few weeks ago, but I need what he knows. I need what he's learned. This man, if I recall correctly, went to seminary just shy, a few miles shy of a DMZ with, with nuclear missiles poised at him. Everyone living in South Korea knows they might be wiped out at any time. I've not really had that experience very much. What can I learn from him so that I can grow fully in, in what I'm called to be? You follow what I'm saying? Uh, what, 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 about, what about our Iraqi brothers and sisters in Christ? What about the Coptic Christians who courageously, as they were being slaughtered uh, by, 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 by people, went and had the little cross tattooed on their hands uh, on, the, on the inside of their wrist, the Coptic cross. And why did they do that? Because they, didn't wanna, they wanted to make sure that they weren't cowards at the last moment and deny Jesus. If they tattooed it on their bodies, they knew they wouldn't back away when the people came with weapons to kill them. And there are pi actual pictures of people saying, yes, I'm a Christian, and they're being shot as they hold up their wrists with that tattoo on there. They got something to teach me. You, you understand what I'm saying? They got something to teach me. I haven't been through that. I haven't, I haven't suffered that way. I haven't had to fight from poverty to, 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 to a level of wealth where you can bless the next generation. I haven't had to fight what you've had to fight. So we all need the fight, the fight that is ordained for us. And then we have lessons and we have strength and we have anointing and we become the ligaments holding everything together as we're connected to Jesus. And the final point is this. I have to be crazy 
about Jesus, to be part of a body of which Jesus is the head. And I, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Again, I don't mean to be negative in any way, but, but I'm a little concerned that it's so possible in much of the American church to be crazy about the church and what's going on in the church, but not necessarily having to be crazy about Jesus. Now, I have no problem complimenting Brett because he's my friend and because he's my pastor. One of the things I love, and I don't want to make a, a, an act out of it. He, he knows better. But, but I speak in a lot of churches. And often the pastor is sitting down front, and, and he is just sort of watching what's going on. Hallelujah. Good. They got that song right. Bless the Lord. You know? You know how pastors are thinking. Like, why aren't the lights on? You know? Or what's going on? Where, where's the usher? What, why didn't the usher have shoes on? Or whatever it is. Let me tell you that during worship, you don't want to be right here because you will get hit. You understand what I'm saying? For Brett Fuller, worship is a full contact sport. Crazy about Jesus. Crazy about Jesus. Worshiping God. Passionate about God. He's going to outrun all of us towards the Lord. Do you, you follow what I mean? I've just decided recently he's not actually going to. I'm going to beat him. But my, my, my point is that... that, that passion for Jesus. I think we've gotten talked out of that just a little bit. I, I think, I think that, you know, we, we talk about the Jesus movement, the Jesus people as though that was old weird stuff. If they were, if they had long hair and wore tie dye, I don't care. They were full throttle for Jesus. And you can't, you can't live any other way if you're going to be a part of a body that is completely connected to him and growing up into maturity into what he's made you to be. I want to be that. I want to be that. I want to be part of a new Jesus generation. I want to be part of, of, a, of a people who are passionately, insanely for Jesus. Yes, we've read a book, and yes, we can speak English. We don't drool all over ourselves when we give our witness. I'm just saying, there's a, yeah, we have some sophistication. We're not clothed and in our right minds, but we're still passionate for Jesus, and it defines everything. That's what has to happen here. Every, almost every sentence of what we've just read, right here in the middle of Ephesians, where it's all about how can the manifold, multifaceted wisdom and power of God be made known to the principalities and powers who think they're ruling this earth. How can that be made? Every sentence is we grow up into Jesus. It's held together by the head. We're all focused on Jesus. We're all about him. We're looking at him. We're becoming like him. That's the vision. We grow together into him, passionate about Jesus. And let me just close on, on in this area of thought. You know, I, I've been a Christian since I was 18. That was like 1872. I don't remember now. It was like 19, 1976 I became a believer. And I, I've had, I've had my, my seasons of real intense passion, and I've had my seasons of, of, of busyness. You, you know what I'm talking about, just Christian busyness. I mean, I've been a Christian leader my whole adult life. And, 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 I, and I understand, I understand that, that sometimes the passion can wane. Sometimes the first love can go. Sometimes things can dial down a bit. But when Paul wrote Timothy and said, stir into flame, awaken the fire within you, he gave him a word. It's just one word. It's a hyphenated word in the Greek. And it's this word. It's a word Timothy was supposed to say to his own soul. Up again flame. One word, that's what it means. Timothy, and this is literally how the Greek should read in that sense. Timothy, up again the flame. In other words, tell the flame or raise up the flame, lift up the flame. Wasn't, there's no stir in that word. Nobody's stirring a fire. It's, it's up again the flame. Awaken, come alive, catch fire. Timothy was meant to take control of his own passion level and awaken himself again in the fire of God. That's the vision here. 
The vision here is not be good and sit together in Sunday school and we'll hold hands once in a while. Maybe we'll come over for cookies and cake. No, no, no. I mean, that's all fine. I'm all for cookies. You understand what I'm saying? What I'm trying to say, though, is that true unity is that we are growing together as one into a discernible body of Jesus with him as the head and the whole thing is set afire and a generation's being changed because of it. And the principalities and powers, and by the way, bear in mind, bear in mind what Paul was talking about, uh, when, who he was talking to. They knew what principalities and powers were. Demons were being manifested on their street every day. And he was saying, here's how we're gonna defeat these suckers. We're gonna be the church we're called to be. That's what he was saying. Ephesians 3.10, and now through the church, through the church, manifold wisdom and power of God will be shown to principalities and powers. Young Timothy, little insecure squirt, you and your elders, you and your little storefront church with your folding chairs and your, you know, one guy with a banjo leading worship. You want to you show these principalities and powers that rule over the city, whose boss? Be the church you're called to be then it doesn't matter what your power, your money, your numbers are. That's when the manifold wisdom of God will be known. And you can't do that with a bunch of people who are on an individual journey. You just can't do it. So I guess Brett and the Holy Spirit are right. We're going to have Korean pastors who are Presbyterians in a suit talking to us. And I imagine before it's over, we're going to have some Holy Spirit anointed bikers going on around here. And I imagine before it's over, we'll have who knows what on the earth we will have here. Craziest looking people on the planet. Probably if you can think of somebody who would irritate you, the Holy Spirit will bring them next week, right? <laughs> because he's not about your comfort zone. He is about building the body of Christ and showing to the principalities and powers over Baltimore and Washington and Chantilly and the whole nation, the power of God through the church. Let's be that church. Love you.